Take your Bibles this morning, and if you will, turn if you go over to the epistle of 1 Thessalonians, the first epistle to the Thessalonians, chapter number 2 this morning, and um, we're going to finish up what we started last week. If I can get this turned on here. And um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 in verses number 10 through 20. I'm going to look at some things uh, we saw last time as uh, we were closing up our missions uh, week, if you will. Uh, this verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 1. For it says here, For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. It was not in vain. Uh, Paul's missionary journey to the Thessalonians uh, in uh, the year, I don't, some say maybe 51, 52 uh, A.D., uh, in that time frame there, Paul is writing back to them some years later, maybe in the 57s, 56 time, uh, five, six, seven years later, and as he's writing back to them, he is letting them know this one truth from God's Holy Spirit. And God's Holy Spirit, underneath the inspiration of, under, or I should say Paul, underneath the inspiration of, of the Holy Spirit of God, writes to them and lets them know that the missionary journey that he took to them, the gospel that he sent unto them, the efforts that were made to get uh, the word of Jesus Christ to them was not in vain. It was not in vain. And listen, folks. That $21,800 that we spent last year on missions, not one penny of that was in vain. Not one penny was in vain. Not one cent was it in vain. Uh, not one gospel track from yesterday that was handed up, was put on, a, put on a door yesterday. Not one of those was in vain. Not one. You say, I don't see any new people here because of it. Listen, I'm not responsible for the result. I'm not responsible for those to get saved. I'm responsible to be a witness to tell. When a witness takes the stand in a court trial, and after it's all been said and done, and the jury decides something against the witness, the witness has nothing to be upset about. Because the witness is not making the decision. The judge is. The jury is. They are just a witness to the crime or to whatever is taking place there in the suit. And so in 1 Thessalonians, he teaches us some things that are right, I should say, he teaches us some lessons on why missions is not in vain, and we covered several of those. But at the end of the chapter, he switches notes, if you will. Switches keys, I should say, uh, more appropriately in the music world. Uh, he switches keys, and then he goes to a different thought and in a different vein here, and that is this, is that, there are always positive results in missions. There are always positive results in missions. And many times we can focus on the, the great need for gospel missions, and no doubt there is. No doubt there is. Eight billion people ought to say there's a need, amen? Uh, there is a great need for gospel missions. There's a great need to give. There's a great need to go. There's a great, great need to get on our knees and pray. But there are some very positive results that come out of giving, going, and praying. There's many ways that 
God blesses this work. And I want to look at some of those today. There's just no doubt about it. God blesses his work of missions. The results that I'm discussing with you here today, though, are not man-centered. They're not man-centered. I would be careful to tell you this, but I want you to understand that the results that I'm going to talk to you about this morning, I should say that the scriptures are going to speak of this morning, are not results in which you might uh, find uh, other preachers preaching about. Uh, We're not saying this morning that if you give to gospel missions that all of a sudden that you myself, you yourself will become rich. That you yourself will uh, obtain a lot of wealth because you have given to this particular endeavor. I'm not even going to uh, go so far as uh, if you will donate $250, I'm not even going to tell you that you're going to get a free DVD like PBS will maybe give to you, you know. I've always found that very curious. You know, you donate $250, you get the free, you know, you get the free DVD. I thought, man, well, okay, you know, I guess it is a donation. I'm not even going to promise you that. But what I am going to promise you is what God promises you. Is that there are God-centered results whenever we give, go, and pray for missions. There are God-centered results. Even Jesus, even though they might not be amazing, even though the results might not be astounding, I think of Jesus in Mark chapter number 6 and verse number 5 whenever he was in his own hometown of Nazareth. And as he was in Nazareth, the Bible teaches us this words. It says, and he could do there no mighty work. But then listen to the end of the verse. Save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and, and healed them. Notice he did heal a few sick folk. Some were helped, some got the cure, and that is missions, my friend. Sometimes the works are amazing, they're big, but other times they're seemingly insignificant. It doesn't matter, the results are always the same. God always blesses His work, every time, in the way that He deems best. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 10, it says, You are witnesses, and God also, how holily, And justly and unblamably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. That ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Because when ye received the word which ye heard of us. Ye received it not as the word of men but as it is in truth the word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believe. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. And they please not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins always, for the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Let me say something with that real quick, okay? This doesn't really have anything to do with the sermon per se that we're looking at today. But I 
fear that there might be some in here this morning and maybe sometimes in our heart or sometime in our heart, there might come up something in our heart that is a lie from Satan. And we need to just go ahead and address this false teaching and false thinking. That's part of the scriptures. That's part of preaching. A lot of times in preaching, we just want the positive emphasis on something, and we don't want nobody to say, well, you need, we don't need the negative so many times. Just give us a positive pick-me-up and let us go home. Amen? But too many messages are positive pick-me-ups, and we need some negative to, in order to know how to combat the false thinking and teaching that is out there. And a false teaching, a false thinking that exists out there is this, is that as he teaches us here, he says that they were being persecuted for the gospel. They were being persecuted for preaching the gospel. They were being, they were, other people were, uh, were filling up their own sins even by persecuting them. And there will be some that will say, well, that maybe should mean that we shouldn't preach the gospel as much. Maybe we shouldn't do as much right. Maybe we shouldn't do exactly what the Bible says because if we do do that, then that might cause others to have their sins to fill up. That might have others to turn away from God and turn away from the gospel if we're so, uh, so harsh and so hard or if we preach about hell or if we tell them about Jesus Christ and that he's exclusive and all these kinds of things. We've got to be a little bit more calm about these kinds of things. Listen to me, my friend. Is that a witness in no way, shape, or form can is called out to change anybody. Your responsibility is to God. Always keep that in mind. The moment that you take your eyes off of God and think that your responsibility lies with something or somewhere else, then you will become skewed in your thinking. You must as Christians, always filter everything through God and His Word. God and His Word. And if you'll do that, then you'll treat your neighbor correctly. And in the right way, you'll treat your wife right. You'll treat your husband right. You'll treat your children right. You'll treat that person that you're given a gospel to track to. You'll treat them right, all right? Don't ever think that because, well, I can't say too much to them. I don't want to. I was last night even myself. I was even hit with this, my own thoughts. I approached a man at the gas station. I handed him a track, and he said, no, thank you. I don't want that. I'm not a Christian. I said, well, sir, I just would like to tell you that God changed my life and that he can change yours and that Jesus Christ loves you and that he died on the cross for your sins. Wouldn't you like to just least have something in your hand where you could have some questions answered? No, I don't want anything about that. I said, sir, do you realize that when you die, that you will go to one or two places, heaven or to hell? Now, I don't believe any of that. I don't want to hear any of it. I said, okay. I was tempted in my thinking as I was pumping the gas, and there was definitely some tension in between us right there, you know, 10 feet away from each other. You could feel it. You could cut it with a knife. But I thought to myself, was I right in telling him about hell? Was I right in that? I did, I thought, and I questioned myself. That's what I'm trying to combat. We need to go against that thought because our thoughts say to ourselves, well, we shouldn't do that. That's too harsh. But I'll tell you what, my friend, it's the truth. And I know in my heart I said it in love. I didn't want that man to go to hell. And God doesn't either. 
Listen to me, my friend. We must combat these feelings, and we must go against them. And we must go with God. We must go with God and preach the gospel, no matter the consequences. No matter the consequences. He goes on to say in verse 17, But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time, in presence not in heart, Endeavor the more abundantly to see your face with great desire, wherefore we would even come unto you, uh, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or our joy or our crown of rejoicing are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the word of God, and we pray that, Father, we'll see some positive results of what missions can bring in our lives. There are amazing results, God, and they come from you. But, Lord, there are no results in, Lord, lest we go give and pray. There are no results, Lord, if we don't invest. How foolish would any of us believe that, Lord, we should expect some dividends out of the stock market or our money market account, Lord, if we never put one dollar into it. And may God, we not think foolishly in the way of missions. But, Lord, may we understand and see that, Lord, the gospel needs requires and must have our investment of time, of energy, of effort, of sacrifice, of money, of praying, of loving. We know that, Lord, the results will be in your hands, and we leave it by faith to you. In Christ's name, amen. There's a couple of ways that these results come. Number one is this. Go back to your text in verse number 10. In 1 Thessalonians 2.10, he says this. He says, you are witnesses. You know about this. You know what I'm about to say to you. You understand what I'm going to tell you. You're, there's no doubt about it. What I'm saying is true to you. He says that, and unto God also, God understands this. No, we're a witness to God that how holily justly and unblamingly we behaved ourselves among you that believe. The first thing I want you to notice this morning is this, and I'm going to tell you the results here are not man-centered, they're God-centered. But one of the first results that we pick up from our text here is this, is that one of the, gospel, one of the results of gospel missions is this, is a holy life. A holy life. For what is a testimony of God's grace without somebody living out God's amazing grace. What is that testimony? Paul says, I, I, didn't, I came to you holily and justly. I came to you behaving ourselves wisely among you. He has a desire to get the gospel out, but simultaneously he had a desire to live right before God. It may seem like a strange phenomenon, but when you consider it, it makes perfect sense. For when you have God's heart on a matter, you will also desire to be like God. You will not just desire to tell others about Christ, but you will also have a desire to be like Christ. Paul thought it very evident and thought it very important that he have a good testimony in order that he may be able to be a good gospel witness. 
If you're at your work and you're just uh, one to get all upset and up and mad and angry over uh, the littlest of problems, or you're one to get depressed or anxious or anxiety, or you're one to cuss and throw a fit over something that happens at work, or you're one to uh, gossip behind somebody's back and talk to people that you talk about people that you ought not to be talking to things about, or if you're the one that's going to stand around the water cooler and and joke about the same and laugh with the same people. All all the same jokes and listen to the crude humor and look at the dirty, filthy pictures that they're showing you on your phone, you're going to be okay with all of that, then my friend, your gospel witness is not going to be very powerful around the people that you're around. It's not going to happen. Paul says, I live holily, justly. I behaved myself wisely among you for the gospel's sake. You say, why should I live godly? For the gospel's sake. That's why. For the gospel, so that people can be saved. That's why. Paul says it many times and in many ways. Herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Wow, that's a powerful testimony. I have a conscience void of offense. For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you, he told the Corinthians. He told them also that he gave no offense in anything, that the ministry be not blamed. Amen? How many times have preachers stood behind a pulpit and the ministry is blamed because of ungodly living? How many times has a Christian ruined the testimony of Christ because of an ungodly lifestyle, ungodly living? Receive us. We have wronged no man. We have corrupted no man. He tells the Corinthians again. We have defrauded no man. For yourselves also ought to know that who follow us. For we have behaved ourselves not disorderly among you. Paul's preacher to young preacher, Paul's advice to young preachers was this. Let no man despise thy youth. But be thou an example in word and conversation and charity and spirit and faith and impurity. And he says to Titus, he says, in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works and doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned. That he that is contrary apart may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Listen, I don't care if you give $100 a week to missions. I don't care if you pray 100 times a week to missions. I don't care that if you give out 100 gospel tracts a week uh, uh, to people. My friend, if your testimony is not right with the others around you and people perceive you as brash and harsh and angry and lustful and sad and depressed and adulterous and rebellious, what good is your gospel witness? What is good is my gospel witness? Well, God can work in spite of me, I've heard people say. Well, of course, God can work in spite of anybody, amen? He works in spite of us at our best, amen? (laughs) At our best, God works in spite of us. But listen to the admonition from Deuteronomy 6.16. Ye shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. There's no reason to tempt God with your unholy lifestyles, just so that he can work in spite of you. There's no reason to do that. God is not calling us to live in such a way that it makes it more difficult for him to work, if you will. Nothing makes more difficult for God, I understand that. But you get my point. We need not to live this way. But the gospel will produce a holy lifestyle in us. 
At least it should. That's a result. The second result is this, and it is one that I'm sure that all of us would like to hear about. It is not just a holy lifestyle, but praise God, is that whenever we give out the gospel, whenever we go and give the gospel and give towards the work of the gospel, is that there will, there will be some that do follow the gospel. Praise God for that, amen? Praise the Lord. He says that. He says, for this cause also we thank God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God. Uh, Paul's telling them, he says, hey, I'm, I'm glad you received the word of God. And that happens. Whenever the gospel is given out, whenever the gospel goes forth, my friend, listen to me, is that there are always some that will hear and respond. There are some that will hear and respond. Uh, there's a passage in Acts chapter number 17. Paul is preaching there on Mars Hills. He's got a great crowd assembled before him. I'd probably say that uh, outside of him preaching to uh, King Agrippa, and I believe, even, I believe even he preached the gospel to Caesar himself, that even in the midst of all of that, even the, the, I think that outside of maybe those two men that he preached to kings, here he has got a group of people amassed in front of him, probably the, one of the most greatest intellectual and high society and most prominent figures that he could ever have in front of him. I don't, we don't know how many were there, but poets and, 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 and philosophers and, and intellectuals of his day, they were all amassed in front of him there in Mars Hill, and he preached the gospel to him. And guess what they all did? They all stood up and waved him off and said he's a crazy lunatic. But listen to the end of the chapter. Albeit certain men clave unto him and believed, among whom was Diocinus, Diocius, and Aragrapite, and a woman named Demarius, and others with him. Just two, three, four, five people. Out of a great crowd? What's, 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 the, what's so big of a deal about? Hey, listen to me, my friend. That's two, three, four, five people that are not going to hell. And who knows what God, how God used those people for the gospel ministry. We don't know. Whenever God gets a hold of your heart with gospel missions, whenever God gets a hold of your life about with the gospel, it becomes a part of your life. Listen to me. Let me say that again. It becomes a part of your life. That's what the gospel has to become. It is not just, well, I gave to missions. And I'm so afraid about that. That's one of the biggest problems and worries that I have about having a program is that we feel like I've given to a program and I'm done. I have fulfilled my duty with missions. But my friend, missions and the gospel must become an extension of you. It must become a part of you, of who you are. You are an ambassador for Christ. And when that happens, my friend, you'll begin to see that as Caleb read just for us a few minutes ago, that God will not allow his word to return void. For he says, as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth and breaketh it, bring forth fruit and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall, it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. 
And he gives to us several reasons to why uh, this happened to the Thessalonians. He says they received the word. Praise God. You know what? Sometimes, Brother John, you're going to have somebody that receives the word. That's a blessing. That's exciting. I mean, they're, they're, they'll be happy about that. that and, 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 and in this case, they were saved when they received the word. But you're going to have some folks that don't get saved right then. You're going to have some folks that you're going to give the gospel to, and they're not going to, uh, they're not going to get saved right that moment. But that's okay. They gladly, they're going to say, you know what, I'll look this over. I'll think about this. Do you realize that when Paul was preaching in, uh, I think it was uh, to, I think it was to King Agrippa, whenever he was preaching there, and King Agrippa said, he said, thou almost persuadest me to be a Christian. And I've heard a lot of negative preaching on that. But did you realize that Paul does not take that in the negative? Paul takes that in the positive. He says that after he says that, he says, I wish that all men here were almost persuaded as thou art, and even as I am, except these bonds. Of course, without these handcuffs on. I wish there were more people in this room that were almost persuaded And I wish there were even more people in this room that were believers in Jesus Christ. And we ought to be thankful for those people that that are almost persuaded. They're right on the line. I believe Agrippa was not, I don't know if he got saved or not. We don't know what happened. But here's the thing. I'm glad for Agrippa that he was almost persuaded. I'm glad he did not answer like Felix who said, come at me at a more convenient time. You got people like that too. And then you got people like the man at the gas station the other day. No, I don't want anything to do with that. You got them all, 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 all stripes, my friend. Some received. But then some were, he says, then you were affected. You were affected by the word of God. He says that in 1 Thessalonians chapter number, he says um, in verse number 13 again, he says, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. You see, the word of God, whenever you give out the gospel and people get saved, listen to me, is that when that happens in people's lives, that's not the end of it. That's what's so amazing about the gospel, is that there is a continuation that happens in somebody's life, that, that when, you get, when you give the gospel and somebody gets saved, or you give, you give unto the Lord and that missionary uh, tells somebody about the gospel and that person gets saved, listen to me, my friend, that is not something that ends right there. There is something that's going to be happening in that person's life all the way until they meet Jesus Christ. And then he tells them, he says, they became followers of the churches of God. Uh, they, they themselves became mission-minded. They themselves became uh, those that were willing to suffer persecution. They themselves became willing uh, to, uh, to be gospel learners and gospel witnesses themselves. And then he says they were willing to face persecution. I mean, that, this is the amazing effect that the gospel has on somebody's life. The next time that you decide to give a gospel track out to somebody or the next time that you uh, write that check out in the, ti- in the memos that you say, say missions, I want you to think about that. That that right there, my friend, that, that going, that giving, that praying, think about it like this, is that when you do that, is that this is not just a one-stop shop. The gospel is not a convenience store, my friend. 
I'll tell you, the gospel, my friend, is like a water mill just continually giving over and over and over and over and just keeps on and keeps on and keeps on and keeps on and keeps on. Others follow Christ. It helps us to live a holy life. And then thirdly, you see here that Paul says that one of the results of missions is this, is that he had a desire to go back. Now look what he says. He says, I wish I had more time, to, and I spent some time with these verses 15 and 16, but nonetheless, look at verse 17. He says, but we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, Endeavor the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. Here again is not your average result of missions. Uh, oftentimes when you hear missions being preached, you don't think about somebody saying this, but he had a desire to go back. What is it that pushes a man like Brother Blanchard and his wife to stay in Australia, though he's had so many ills? I'll tell you what it is. It's the gospel. Oh, what is it that keeps uh, Brother Nickel and his uh, wife and, uh, over there in Czech Republic, though the, it'd be so hard and so difficult to minister there? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, what is it that keeps uh, Brother Miss Florence down in Papua New Guinea in that hot, humid, muddy, rainy, insect-infested place? The gospel. The gospel? The gospel does? What is it that keeps Brother Porter and Miss Cindy there in Zimbabwe? Then after finally 14 years, and I just got a letter just this week, 14 years, they're finally able to uh, purchase some land and they're going to be building a building. Building a building after 14 years. What is it that's kept them laboring for this long? What is it that keeps them going? What is it that makes them not, what is it that makes them go back? The gospel. God, Jesus Christ, they wanted to see their face again, Paul says. We want to come back to you because part of the gospel is this. Go you into all the world and teach all nations. Another part of the gospel is this. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. But a third part of the gospel is this. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. That's the third part of the gospel that gets left out sometimes. Discipleship. Knowing more about Jesus Christ. Do you have a longing desire to go back and tell others about the gospel? Do you have a desire maybe even today to leave this place and tell somebody about the Lord? Do you have a longing, a desire to tell your family how to be saved? The problem with a lukewarm church in Revelation 3 was this, is they had grown complacent to God and His Word and to God's calls, the gospel. The other night I woke up and God rebuked me very harshly. I woke up because I was thinking about all the things that I need to do. I had this on my mind, I had that on my mind. I had this project and that project and I was thinking about all these things that I have to do, that I have to do, that I have to do. I stayed up for two or three hours in the middle of the night and God I don't want to get all charismatic on you here, you know, and say God spoke to me or anything. But God just revealed to me this. And this is not, 
This is straight out of his word too. And I had this thought. Matthew, are you more worried about things that will burn once or things that will burn forever? Are you more worried about things that will burn once or things that will burn forever? What does that mean? It means am I more worried about the things of this world that one day will burn, that will suffer the vengeance of God? This church is going to burn one day. When I say church, I mean this church house, this building. It's going to burn. Those trees around us, they're going to burn. This ground, this earth is going to burn. Second Peter tells us that clearly. The earth is reserved, in, right now in this moment, it is reserved for the fiery judgment of God. Am I more worried about things that will burn once than I am about things that will burn forever? Am I more concerned about those things that will burn once than those people that will burn in hell forever? Have I any concern for them? I'm waking up in the middle of the night thinking about things that will burn once when really I should be waking up in the middle of the night thinking about people that will burn forever. And too often times we're worried about what's, how am I going to pay this bill or how am I going to uh, finish this project or how am I going to get this job or how am I going to finish this classwork or how am I going to do this schoolwork or how am I going to uh, uh, finish, this, uh, finish this out and, and what if I don't and what if this happens and what if that happens and, 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 and if my family doesn't do this and I don't do that and, and all these kinds of things and I'm not saying we don't worry and we don't plan and all those kinds of things. I do those kinds of things. I try to work my hardest and I, and I want to provide for my family and I want to uh, do the best that I can in this life I don't want to be a lazy bum and uh, be a leech off of somebody else praise God for that I want to work for what I have but listen to me my friend if I'm more concerned about the temporal things of this life then my friend I have lost perspective and I'm a Laodicean minded Christian and my complacency is going to let me walk right by people at a gas station that need Jesus Christ for the gospel And I don't, I'm not trying to be mad at you. I'm not mean. I'm mad. Just God's been stirring up my soul. But I warn you. And I warn myself. That if we get involved with the gospel, Satan's going to hinder you. You better watch out. Satan's lurking around the corner. And he's going to try to get in your back pocket and he's going to try to get in your ear. And he's going to try to tell you. Now listen to that old preacher. He's just fired up this morning. He's going to try to tell you, hey, you don't need to tell them. What if they reject you? What if you lose your job? What if your family doesn't like you anymore? Satan's going to try to get a bug in your ear. And you know what's going to happen to some of you? Not all of you. Some of you are going to start giving to missions. Praise God. And then all of a sudden, you're going to hit some kind of financial wall. 
And Satan's going to say, see, I told you. I told you. I tried to warn you. I tried to warn you. Some of you are going to give the gospel. You might get excited. You might bring a gospel track with you. You might even stop at a gas station and say, I'm going to witness somebody. And they're going to say, I don't want that. Satan's going to say, see, I told you. I told you. Nobody cares about, you, what, about your stupid gospel. Nobody cares about your stupid gospel. Nobody's going to get saved. Don't listen to that old book. Nobody cares about that. Nobody wants that anymore. Why don't you just quit? Why don't you just give up? Why don't you just go on home? Why don't you just forget about it? But don't you listen to Satan, my friend. You listen to God. God says there are results. There are results. There's a holy life. There's others that will follow. There's the fact that you'll have a desire to go back. But don't miss the best result. He says there will be joy and rejoicing and a crown of glory. Joy. What is our hope? Our joy or crown of rejoicing are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. I had an old lab, black lab. I don't know how I can transition from what I just said to black lab, but nonetheless, we'll go there with it. I had this black lab. It's a good dog, great dog. I love the dog. And, um, but when you got out a ball, I mean, something happened to that dog. I mean, it just changed. In fact, when I got out, I taught that dog how to retrieve. I taught the dog how to uh, uh, retrieve birds. I taught him myself and everything. I read the books and everything. I invested a lot of time with all of that. And uh, I bought one of those orange decoys, and I had it to where uh, I had him on signals and commands. I could uh, get him to uh, retrieve on command, get him retrieved while not paying attention, get him retrieved two things, you know, at the same time. So I spent a lot of time with the dog. Anyhow, nonetheless, is that when I got out that orange duck decoy, I tell you what, that dog was in retrieving mode, retrieve mode. And I'll never forget the first time that I ever took him out hunting. And uh, we pulled up on a bird, and 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 uh, and and we took a dove. I took a dove, and uh, and that dove landed right in a tank. I mean, right in a tank. And I'll never forget how how that dog jumped off the edge of that little embankment right into the water. Got that dove, brought it right back to me. I mean. <laughs> Okay, I'm mean, just all right. Let's just stop for. I mean, I mean, you know, you, 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 I mean, my button's about to bop, pop on my shirt. You know what I mean? My heart's bouncing out of my chest. You know what I mean? But you know what? That dog. I mean, if that dog could smile, it was smiling. You know what I mean? I mean, it was grinning from ear to ear. Its tail was wagging. It was excited. It had done what it was trained to do. It was happy because it was doing what it was bred, what it was born, what it was supposed to do. That's what it was doing at that moment in time. And listen to me, my friend. If you're unhappy in the Christian life, it could very well be possible it's because you're not involved with the gospel. Because they're an unhappy Christian. 
most of the time, I don't want to be emphatic on that, but most of the time is because they're not involved with the gospel. And you cannot express your pure joy and happiness when you're not involved in the gospel endeavors. You just can't. Because that's what you're born again to do. Tony Powell, a friend of mine, a welder, just a welder, got saved at 41 later on in life. Been a great, he's a great gospel witness, though. We pray for Tony. He had prostate cancer. The Lord delivered it from him twice. Saw him just yesterday. He was actually at the church helping him with a little project out here, and he came up to me. The first thing he said to me, first thing, first thing, not how you're doing or anything like that. First thing that he says to me, he says, Brother Matt, I got to tell you something. He said, I was uh, talking to a fellow, another welder, and he said, I, got a, I was talking to him, and I was talking to him about the Lord, and, and one thing led to another, and he said, he said I, I want to get saved. And he was telling me how he got saved and how he trusted Jesus Christ. To save. And, and he said, I, I've talked to a lot of people, Brother Matthew, and so I wanted to be sure that you want to get saved, you know. And I, I, so I asked him, I said, so why do you want to get saved? And the man said, because I don't want to go to hell and I want to have my sins forgiven. He said, that's good enough reason for me. Come here, I'll tell you how, all right. He led him to the Lord. I tell you, Brother Tony, I mean, he wasn't proud, okay, I'm not saying that. But I'll tell you what he was, he was joyful. You know why? Because he was doing what he was born again to do. And when you see somebody get saved, I'll tell you what, you can't wait to find another Christian and tell them that, guess what, this person got saved. John got saved. Bill got saved. Sue got saved. They got saved. And you can't wait to tell somebody about it because that's your joy. That's your crown of rejoicing because you know, without a shadow of a doubt, that that person believed upon Jesus Christ. And not only did they believe upon Jesus Christ, and not only God can change their life today, but he's changed the course of their entire eternal history. And that person that was going to hell and was a child of Satan is now a child of God and is now going to heaven. Oh, what a hope, what a joy, what a crown of rejoicing. Praise God for the gospel, for the gospel. Have you, my friend, are you, my friend, as I prayed at the beginning, none of us would be so foolish to think that I deserved a little cut off of some of that Tesla stock that Elon Musk is making so much if you never invested in it one time. None of us would be that foolish. Now, there are some people in this world that are that foolish, but I hope you wouldn't be. Why should we think any less of the gospel? If I'm not investing into the gospel... then what is your life going to be like? Are you going to be holy? Are you going to see the results of people coming to church, being saved? Are you going to hear about it and be excited about it? Are you going to have some crowns of rejoicing in heaven one day? No, my friend. We need to invest in the gospel of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's the only hope this world has. It's the only hope. It has no other hope 
but the gospel of Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, we're thankful for the word of God. We're thankful for the gospel. We pray that all of us, Lord, all of us, God would have a burning passion in our hearts to get the gospel out. To give the gospel, to go and preach the gospel, to give money for gospel endeavors and gospel missions. And that our hearts would just be on fire and our hearts would be set on point with 1 Thessalonians 2.1. That our coming in unto you, our entrance in unto you was not in vain. The gospel is never in vain. But your word accomplishes the purpose whereunto it is sent. I and this church, Lord, are not responsible for the purpose whereunto you send that word. I have no control over the purpose of why you send out your word. But Lord, may we take some responsibility in giving out that word and getting that word to people that are around the world that don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord. Help us now, we pray. If God has spoken to your heart this morning about the gospel and the great need for it, I'd encourage you to just come down to this altar. Maybe you've got an area in your life that is hindering you from telling others about the gospel. Maybe you just want to tell somebody else, a family, a friend, a, 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 a co-worker about the gospel. Maybe it's a lost relative that you need to pray for this morning. I don't know what it is or how God's spoken to your heart today, but I'd encourage you, why don't you just come out of your...